that is a nice <laughs> airport, huh? They got a lot of good places. They got like legit places to eat. They got some good food in there. Yeah. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they know he's get, if in, in Texas, there's got to be good places to eat, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You like barbecue? My favorite. We could do a whole podcast about barbecue. I know a lot about barbecue. Uh-oh. <laughs> if we want to go any direction there with barbecue, we can bring that up. All right, Mark, we're live. We're live. Oh, my God. <laughs> We're here today with Josh Bryant. Super fired up to have him here. Uh, we've had you on the podcast before, but it's probably, what, maybe about two years ago? About a year and a half ago, yep. December yeah. 2016. Yeah, a little, little while back, and we had a chance to hang out together, too, uh, after the podcast was over. Had an opportunity to grab some grub and, and to kind of hang out and to kick it. But you're from Texas, and they got barbecue down there. They got barbecue there, the best. You, you uh, digging barbecue? Connoisseur. Yeah? What's your favorite thing? Um, brisket and sausage. Oh man, brisket. Andrew, we went to some weird barbecue place when we went to like Portland, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know exactly what I ate, but that shit was amazing. It was some country something something. It was so good. Yeah, I think that's the thing with barbecue. Everything's pretty good. Portland, Texas or Oregon? Yeah, Oregon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we were in Oregon. <laughs> when I went to Texas, um, because some, like I went to Austin, Texas and mm-hmm. some of the barbecue places that are famous there are just always packed. Yeah. So they told me just like to not even bother. And I went to some, I literally went to a gas station and had barbecue because they said, you can go to any gas station and have amazing mm-hmm. barbecue. And so True. that's what I did. <laughs> Talk about being gas station ready. Gas station ready. How, how, do you uh, cook up some mean barbecue yourself? I do actually. Um, get, I've kind of got that in the science of, you know, on brisket, what the bark is? No. Like that black stuff on the outside? kind of it's you, you know you know how to just get it just right just get it right it takes a long time to cook all that stuff doesn't it yeah you gotta, so like, smoke it and shit like that it's about a half it, yeah it can be you know like an hour per pound my brother-in-law makes some amazing wings the problem is it's like we'll go over his house it'll be like maybe 5 p.m and he's like yeah i'm just finishing smoking them and then he's got to still cook them and there's and it's by the time it's, I don't know, 10 p.m., <laughs> yeah. you know, they they taste amazing, but it sucks eating wings at midnight. I get up real early, so throw it on like 5 a.m. or something, and then be ready to go by like 6 or something. Have yeah. you always done that? You always uh, woken up early? Yeah, definitely. It's just something that you've been doing since you were a kid. Not, it's, I think a lot of it's also having kids and stuff, because I'm oh. not going to sacrifice my time with them, and there's, right. I can't make more hours a day, so there's no other option. And get up like five o'clock, four o'clock, four o'clock usually, yeah. yeah, and just fucking ready to go. Yeah, it's the best time. No one's gonna mess with you. No one's gonna call you. No one's gonna text you. Or anything. What about when you were younger? Did you wake up pretty early too? When you were uh, powerlifting and stuff? No, no, it's more just like something. I mean, I did when I had to. When I, you know, at the point when I, um, I was in. I used to live in Tennessee for a little while, right? And um, to earn income, I could get a lot of good clients starting off like six a.m. Mm. You know, when I worked for Branch Warren. At his gym, got a good client starting at 5 a.m., so I did do if I had to. What's Branch Warren's obsession with 15 reps? I don't know. He that That's all he ever does is 15 reps, right? Like, he, he has everybody do 15 reps of everything, and uh, on every exercise, he goes as heavy as possible and, <laughs> and does high reps and does high amount of sets. Yeah, he... he Just kicks know, the shit out of people, right? You know that he actually uh, used to be a powerlifter, too. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Competitive, too, not yeah. just, like... Calling himself a powerlifter, yeah. Well, a lot of those bodybuilders are really, I mean, they're really strong. Very. You're in the uh, hometown of uh, one of the strongest, Ronnie Coleman. Ronnie Coleman, Branch, all those guys. Lightweight. Johnny Jackson. What would Ronnie Coleman do if he powerlifted? Like, if he just focused on just powerlifting back in the day? It would be a lot because um, he he didn't train that way. I mean, so, 
I mean, it'd be scary if you got on like, you know, some of like the stuff that could actually convert all that muscle to being super efficient, like isometrics and things like that. I mean, I have no idea, but it'd yeah. be a lot. You're a big proponent of isometrics and you don't really hear, I mean, still today, you don't really hear a lot of other people talk about it. I don't know, man. What are isometrics? What is it? What are we doing? Well, for, what do we got to do? Get me strong. Okay. So, uh, I mean, for the isometrics, we're Try talking to stay about. stay a little closer to your okay. mic there. Isometrics, we're don't talking about. intimidated by the size. Yeah. <laughs> choke, choke up on it. So I've never speak. seen one this big. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, the isometrics. Um... <laughs> It'll be okay. We'll walk you through it. <laughs> just breathe, you know. We just breathe. <laughs> isometrics. We're talking about here. You know, you could isometric. You could be just flexing your bicep, right? But what we're talking about Smokey here. Smokey does that a lot. Yeah, he does. He's doing it right now. Just periodically throughout the day, 10, 10 15 second holds, flexing those biceps. <laughs> You don't build you don't build a physique like that without without those advanced modalities. That's true. That's true. That's a great that's a great point. <laughs> We're talking about here is actually to overcome a sticking point. So like we had the video we did with you and I yeah. on bench press and with you're Filipino Thunder. With Filipino Thunder. And you're actually pushing as hard as you can against the pens, you know. Right. So in a deadlift it'd be the same thing. If you're, you know, sticking point you know, you're trying to work right above your knee. You just like, you know, four second warrior, like Steve Johnson. Those were huge for bringing up those sticking points right. and getting them over 900 pounds. And, uh, of deadlift. Well, how, about how long do you do that for? It was like eight seconds. Six seconds. That? Six seconds. Okay. And then what you That's do about after. all you need, you don't really need to be, to do any more. And, and if you did more, it'd probably, uh, be too long and you're not producing as much I think strength. Right? Rendered ineffective after a while. Yeah, for right. sure. Cause you wouldn't be going as hard. So. What you do is you you do, after doing that you immediately do um, a set of the re the exercise with full range of motion, hmm. to so you get the carryover into that motor pattern. Right, and then it's subsequent. Does that have a name? Is that called anything? Everything's always got a name. I call it compensatory acceleration training. Oh, there you set. Go. Yeah. yeah, right after. So you would do that right after, and you would. Um, I mean, you you should be theoretically more explosive. So a similar theory to like if you picked up 315 pounds off the ground for a deadlift and uh, somebody pulled a plate off each side while the weight's on the ground and then and then you proceeded to do 225, uh, it would feel a lot lighter because you lifted something heavier. Yes, exactly. So in some ways it's it's similar to that, right? Very much so. And so you're doing a, um, does it matter like, like kind of where these points are or you're saying uh, specifically it kind of matters where your sticking point is? Where it's more specifically where your sticking point is, but you could certainly use it. Um, in other spots. In other spots. So like if say on the bench press, if it's like a general strengthening, you could do like, you know, at the bottom, mid range, mm. at the top, and then kind of. Have you seen it? Have you seen it like not work for a particular movement just because the movement's different? Like, does it work in in all three? I've done it with bodybuilding and stuff. Yeah. Even have people do it like um, with a you know I'd have it do like curl against a, a squat rack or an immovable object, then do curls right after and things like that. So I've done it for a lot of different <laughs> stuff because um, I forget who the guy's name was. It was sort of um, it was kind of neuroscientist was talking about like he thought that was like the best way to get muscle activation would mm. be to do like a maximal isometric. Right. Um, contraction prior. So you could use it for bodybuilding, certainly. Mm -hmm. I mean, Charles Poliquin used to do it for, um, he had the functional isometrics for, you know, he did a lot in close grip right. for building triceps and stuff. So, And then when you're doing these isometrics, you're not using any weight, right? Like, is it just the bar or is there weight on the bar? With the weight, both. So with a bench press, it's kind of funky if you had to set it up with weights. Mm -hmm. So that, that wouldn't be like the way to go. Because you're just pushing against the pin in the case of the bench press, right? Yeah, and you have to get it inside there and stuff. So, but with the deadlift, I actually put a little bit of weight on there, just because. Um, so, like, I mean, it wouldn't be heavy. So, like, someone like Steve Johnson, say he's going to go 
you know, up to, you know, he's going to do like an isometric and then do the speed rep after. He mm-hmm. can, might go somewhere like, you know, 405 on the bar for the isometric, then go up to, um, you know, 700 or something after on the deadlift, on regular deadlift. God damn, I'm fat. <laughs> yeah, I remember this day. This is was, from last time. Yeah, I remember this day. It was, uh, it was tough. You know, the train, the training was, uh, pretty brutal. How, how many sets do you do? Um, I think generally a good starting point is for like three or so. Mm-hmm. I've done it as much as like five or six. And then also I've utilized your program before, um, and it helped me a lot you yeah. know, years, years ago. And, uh, what yeah, I remember. 578, right? Yeah. 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 What I remember about it is that, um, you know, while I was doing some of the stuff, it was just a tremendous amount of work. I remember that. And I also remember, uh, doing some heavy stuff and then followed by some speed work. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of has a similar uh, response to the isometric work too. Cause again, you're handling something heavier and now you're going lighter. What kind of results have you seen from that? Huge ones. So that's kind of, um, my mentor, the late Dr. Fred Hatfield, he, he talked a lot about compensatory. Shit, is he from Texas too? No, he's from, oh. he's lived all over. He's originally oh. from Connecticut, oh. but he, he talked about him and I, we used to, we do, we did a bunch of seminars together and, um, when, you know, when he's still alive and we, we'd always talk about like he, one day we were, um, we're both chubbier in this video. This is great. <laughs> one day we were, Marcus t- looks the same. <laughs> Look at that pet contraction. Hell yeah. Yeah. Not bad. There could be a bodybuilding carryover for sure. Yep. But he used to always say he thought the biggest difference between like strong people and weak people was the ability to compensatory accelerate the weight. So mm. to be able to move the weight fast. Yeah. Or at least and just have the intent to move it fast because. A lot of times if it ain't moving fast, but you have the intent, you still get a lot of the desired adaptations of, of moving the weight fast. Yeah. It seems to make a huge difference. I mean, even just think about any time that you're injured, you know, like if you're, if your knee bothers you, how fast are you going to squat? Like it's going to be reduced, right? Like of course. all you're thinking about is that pain and you're like, I'm just going to kind of squat down gingerly yeah. and kind of see, you know, see, see what this uh, feels like. You've built up a lot of guys to bench, uh, over 600 pounds, um, as a, as a power to yourself, you bench press 620 pounds. Mm-hmm. You, you were, you're, you were the youngest, uh, power lifter of all time to bench press 600 pounds. You bench 620, you deadlifted 810, yep. you squatted over 900 pounds. Yeah. You know, you acquired a lot of strength, but how are you getting these results on the bench press specifically? Cause you've built up a lot of 600 pound benchers. And I think you might've even been able to, uh, bring somebody up that broke your record and benched yeah, exactly. the 600 pounds young at a younger age, Abs- right? Absolutely. So yeah, that's true. So I think a lot Smokey, of it. Smokey, write this down, pay attention. Andrew, slow, put all this stuff that he's about to say in slow motion. Sounds good. Dang, how much did you weigh there? You're a lot. <laughs> I'm probably about 700 pounds. Just a quick estimate. <laughs> not that I without, was, without not that I was looking like lean and mean either. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably somewhere around 700 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> Get, get that sumo wrestling thing going. That's right. Look at that face. I'm like, I'm about to like bite your neck or something. Some good intensity there. <laughs> That's right. So how are you able to build up these big benches like this? Well, I think initially it was, uh, you know, just I, I, what I did is, um, instead of like most kids when they're college age are going around partying and stuff, I moved all around the country and trained with like people like Gary Frank and that. So I learned a lot there. I learned, <coughs> excuse me. A lot from just reading and stuff, a lot from what worked for me. Yeah. Then a big thing was what didn't work for me too. So like. Mm, yeah. It's always a, 
bad lesson, right? Well, like elbow surgery and stuff, like, I, you know, I'm not having people with elbow problems. So mm-hmm. I had to kind of like take one for the team there, but yeah, fortunately that's been a, a avenue to pass on to other people so they don't make the same mistakes. So mm-hmm. then I think a lot of it's experience too. Like I was talking about earlier in the interview, if, um, I don't have like a team of people working for me that are like doing the programs, it's all me. Um, so this is what I do. And I, since 16, I've been, I started managing a hardcore gym. So they're, I've never done anything else. So either, you know, you're not, you're either going to get better or you're going to get worse. And I've gotten better over time just by experience of training people, seeing mm-hmm. what works, you know, things like that. So. And, uh, is there, uh, do you think there's any like sort of, uh, you know, other than just hard work, is there, is there kind of a key element to your style of training that's, that's leading to a lot of these results? Obviously avoiding injury is going to be huge. So if you can coach them through that, that's a big part of it. Uh, it's going to be, um, and mainly have it be individualized. I think it's going to be a huge part of it because you'll have somebody, you know, stand up on their, you know, soapbox talking about like everybody needs to bench press, you know, twice a week, three times a week or whatever. And it just, these universal recommendations just just aren't there. Yeah. I remember when we started working together, I think, um, I think maybe you, uh, I, I think it was, I think you had me benching twice a week yeah. and then you were, maybe you mentioned that we're going to be- go into three times a week. And, and I kind of made a comment back to you and said, I do all the two times a week kind of beating up, beating up my elbows. Yeah. And you're like, well, wait, where are you coming from? And I was like, well, I, I, before that I was really only benching once a week. And I was doing like just assistance exercise. You're like, okay, well, it makes no sense to go from one to three. So we're not going to do that. Exactly. So like for Julius Maddox, for instance, when he hit seven to five. That guy's fucking strong. One, once every nine to 10 days is what he's benching. So mm-hmm. James Strickland got it down to once a week. You know, Jeremy Hornstrand is better with twice a week, just the second day is not as heavy. So mm-hmm. there's not necessarily, you know, one way to do it. And I think, um, you know, that's going to be the hugest part of that is, is, um, for a lot, and then a lot of these guys is, um, they never have done movements that specifically we're doing that help aid in the bench press. And a lot of them have never done any kind of hypertrophy work in the off season either, which is a huge, so we couldn't say there's not one way to skin a cat, but we could definitely know that you can't go heavy all the time. Mm. You need to get some hypertrophy work in the off season because the best way to increase strength potential is by adding muscle mass. Right. Cause a lot of these bodybuilders that are like weak would actually be pretty strong if they train like powerlifters pretty quickly. So. Yeah, once they start to kind of tap into training their nervous system rather than just working on the muscle mass all the time, Exactly, right? yeah, because I remember going to powerlifting meets growing up and, you know, when equipment was more popular, mm-hmm. you'd see some people, you read about benching seven or 800 pounds <laughs> and you show up and they look like they're shaking with 405 on a bench press warm-up. <laughs> right. But then you go to the gym and you see some bodybuilder never even heard of powerlifting, he's repping 405 on the incline, so... Right. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know something's off there. And I think that's kind of how I had success early on because I've never been one to like, just believe things. I investigate things myself being like, okay, you can say this, this, and this, but the bottom line is that bodybuilder that doesn't even know what powerlifting is, is repping 405 in the incline. You may bench 800, but you're shaking like a leaf when you warm up with 405. And There's a lot of guys that, that aren't, that don't do any of it. They don't bodybuild, they don't powerlift, and they're just at your local gym and they're strong as shit. Yeah. And you learn from them. Yeah. And like, so for instance, a lot of, some of the more, some of the equipped guys, like I had one guy, I don't work with him and does his programming for like the equip meets, but mm-hmm. for off season, he totaled um, over 2000 at 165. And that was from doing a lot. I think a lot of large part of that was building a raw off season. He dropped his ego. Like, yeah, the first time he came to our squad, you know, bench pressing, you know, 300 is kind of difficult, but now, you right. know, he gets up to 400, puts on the shirt and he's got this good base, better build, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know. 
his equip total jumps up because I think the equip guys yeah. would still do really well by getting some raw off-season work, just how, you know, with you or anybody yeah. else, we've used slingshots and stuff mm-hmm. to overload. So it, it works both ways. Right. Um, have, uh, have you, have you worn powerlifting gear before? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, everybody did back yeah. then, right? Right. Yeah. It was kind of just part of it. Um, what made you want to go after like a raw bench? Cause like when you, when you did your raw bench, it was a long time ago and people weren't really talking about it. They weren't talking about raw. I just went to some different meets and saw that people, um, weren't that, you know, strong people that I kind of looked up to. It was kind of like a letdown. Cause I was a kid still right. thinking like, you know, oh, I'm actually stronger than you. And I've like idolized you. You right, know, right. that that wasn't. Yeah. And you're like, what is What's going on? What's going here? on here? And then I talked one time talking to Ed Cohn, we were talking about, um, he didn't even say you should go raw, but he was like, we we're talking about on the phone about how just working out and stuff and equipment, you don't feel that same sort of pump and things like that, that, I mean, it's not about being competitive powerlifting. It's just, you know, at the time, I don't think anybody was really making any money doing this. Right. So it better damn well be fun then. Right. And so, you did your, uh, your brother powerlifted too, right? My brother, uh, he has, and he's, um, he's actually going to do a meet, I think in Ventura here in California mm-hmm. in, in like about 12 weeks from now. Um, but his main thing is he was all American in the, in the throws. Yeah. Yeah. He was two-time a NCAA champ and shot putter from USC. Yep. Yeah. How did you get connected with Ed Cohn? Ed, I, the way I got connected with Ed Cohn was, um, <coughs> uh, I guess like bulldog determination i just got <laughs> tracked down his number from somebody and then um i got salaria the one of the um fred hatfield's business partner with issa to ask if it was okay if i called him and i just called him and then um you know i just started bothering him he actually took the calls <laughs> you, how, your how family's you? actually from here right yeah from santa barbara yeah, what's santa that barbara. no how old were you when you first got in contact with Eddie? 18 there you go yeah ed, ed cohen he's like you know, he's in, he's in everybody's story that we talk to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, he's involved in like almost every single story that we get to. So, you know, in building some of these benches, um, I'm sure you get asked all the time about like ass- accessory work, assistance sure. exercises. What are some of your favorites there? I think two that have kind of like a, uh, that it's going to be tough to find somebody that won't benefit at least to a point <laughs> are dead bench pressing for multiple singles versus like, you know, so not like Reese, not doing a set of five where you just let go of the bar for a second like actually literally right. one single rest one single rest um and then one i got from you guys actually spoto pressing yeah been huge i think those two are like the uh dead press to define it a little bit more is like you're um uh, you're you're pressing out of a rack right do we are you guys able to link up on youtube here when yep. we're doing it because yeah. we have a i got a thing a video dead bench symposium or something i believe it's called on the yeah. youtube and you could show like kind of talk it goes in pretty good detail about it right but but it basically, you, you press off the pin, right? And you do one rep, and then you rest for 10 seconds, and then you press yeah. again, correct? It could be, yeah. And right so there. the set could be for three, you know, three reps or five reps or so, but you got to rest at the bottom so you're not taking advantage of, like, the uh, stretch reflex in your body, correct? Exactly. So, and, and you want to really rest at the bottom because um, it, even, like, a one-second pause, you're going to probably have half of that left. So, <laughs> oh, like, um, with, um, with, like, Al Davis... <laughs> Some pipe right there. Yeah, with Al Davis, um, like for instance, the first time he tried the dead bench, he missed four fifty five, mm. but he's benching slightly over six. Wow! So we got that up to six oh five over eight weeks, mm. and he bench pressed six seventy raw. So there was like a, um, I mean, obviously that was a major weakness, right? And right. brought it up to snuff, and the, you know, it's almost a little bit like a over a um, 
an isometric overcome by like a dynamic movement, right? Because Absolutely. isometric, you're holding it and you don't ever have any movement. And in this case, it's like one, two, three, it probably takes you a few seconds, especially if you're weak at it. And then all of a sudden you're able to break it off the pin, 100%. break inertia and get enough force to lock the weight out or something like that. Right. Absolutely. And you use this on squats and deads and stuff too. Um, well, deadlift is going to be that way by default. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, squats too. So a uh, well, good, good way to do it with squats is with the safety bar because it's, it's just more efficient to get under it. You know, it's like a, a lot of people are gonna have trouble getting under a regular squat bar, but certainly I've done it that way. Um, I think that one, um, I don't remember how I came up with the dead bench. I just, um, I think what happened was, um, obviously I'm not claiming to invent it, but I don't remember. I never got taught directly to me by somebody, mm. but I think by deductive reasoning, I came up with it because I saw that Paul Anderson, you know, one of the strongest people of all time was doing like dead squats. Yeah. A yeah. Anderson. By default. Yeah. Anderson squats. Yeah. Anderson squats. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, squatting out of, out of the rack and just kind of, you know, basically pushing the weight off the pins. Exactly. Uh, for some of his squats and handled what a thousand pounds, stuff like that. Right. So yeah. Outrageous amounts of weight. Yeah. Would you use the dead press as your main movement for a training session? Uh, generally not. So generally I would use the, the dead press as an accessory movement to your bench press. However, if someone like, um, had really needed it, we might do like a secondary bench day without starting off, but I certainly wouldn't just start. I think you got a bit like bench pressing. Isn't something like a, a snatch where it's so complex that, you know, you have to do it 14 times a week to look okay doing it. It certainly needs to be the mainstay of your program, at least when you're peaking. So you could do it, you know, generally it's after the bench press on your main bench press day, because I've done it before where it starts off an accessory day. Why do you think people have gotten so strong, you know, especially recently? I mean, there's, yeah, I know you're a fan of kind of like the old school and, and I believe that, uh, you know, for lack of a better terminology, I think like powerlifting gear put powerlifting like on pause for a little while. Cause it was just, we went through like a weird period of time where yeah. the squats just kept getting higher. The bench shirts just got, kept getting more ridiculous. And, and we did a one time thing, not to interrupt you, but like yeah. I, just got, I don't want to forget this. So one time, another kind of like, um, you know, epiphany, I say the word epiphany, like it was some kind of like, you know, spiritual awakening, but right. it sort of was, um, they looked at one time, this guy's like, why don't you get a powerlifting USA magazine from 1982 then look at 2002 in the deadlifts. Right. 1982 was better. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, now I don't, I mean, I'm not like bought off by an equipment company. So good right. point. You know, let's, right. let's, we need to, we need to reexamine this probably. Yeah. And, and I mean, but now, you know, because I guess maybe because raw got popular again, mm. we're seeing a lot of people being really strong and especially from the females. I mean, the females are yeah, lifting around, some yeah. outrageous weights. What do you think's responsible for this surgence of, of, uh, strong lifters now? Okay. So. Uh, obviously, um, there's going to be an improvement with people that are a actively pursuing knowledge. There's going to be an improvement because, you know, you're going to use what's useful, discard the rest, right? right. So there's that element of- Bruce Lee. There's, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's that element, of course. There's also the element of, but then there's, there's more stupidity now, I think, than ever too. So that's not like everybody's like elevated to some higher level of consciousness. And right. You know, there's a lot of dumbasses too. Yeah. Many, many, many. <laughs> so there, there's just, so that, that brings us to the main point. There's more people involved. Right. So we have a better genetic pool. One, you know, obviously, or that's more two. people participating period, more people participating period. So that's huge. Obviously the training techniques have gotten better. 
And there's a higher standard. What Roger Bannister ran like a, a four minute mile. How many people did it that same year? Like 40 people or something? It was something absurd, right? Yeah. Well, the guy behind him, I think, also broke a world record. He didn't run under four minutes, but he also broke a world yeah, record. Yeah. So, know, like, things like that happen, right? Standards increase. So, um, I think, um, yeah, like during the, you know, in the 90s, you'd read like a Power Off the USA magazine, and it was sort of like, you know, people would write about like someone totaling 2,000 in like triple ply. Right. Loose judging is like kind of like the standard to adhere to. And right. I think it put Power on pause, like you said. And then, yeah. um, I think the Ben shirt specifically kind of, screwed powerlifting up just because yeah i mean people were still getting a lot of their squat suits and stuff and and you were you know you're able to get a few pounds out of your deadlift uh suit and stuff like that too but it was really uh but it didn't make a poodle into a pit bull yeah yeah the bench shirt changed changed the game you know it, yeah it really because some people could you know add 300 or 400 and there were some guys even getting more out of their bench shirt so it was they, the opposite of people claim it was evolution it was actually the opposite because what it did is people you know, the bench press has an ascending strength curve. So theoretically it should be hardest off the bottom, but people are weakest at the bottom who are like the, you know, the weak and yeah. our Darwinism here, they got the most benefit from. So it didn't like <laughs> increase, yeah. like it was like the opposite of natural selection. Right. And, and it, it just was like welfare or something. It changed everything quite a bit because, uh, the body type and stuff was way different. Like if you had to work, uh, you know, in the past you had to work really hard to get a certain yeah. amount of muscle mass. And in this case, it was like, well, if you're just fat and bloated, <laughs> yeah, then then you can benefit from the bench shirt better because it, it just, it worked better that way rather than being like, if you were solid muscle. Belly benching too. Yeah. If you were solid muscle, like a bench shirt, it's not ever going to work on stand efforting. No. And it's not going to work on Ronnie Coleman who's bringing the bar down, you know, repping five plates and bringing the bar down to his chest. But. Yeah. I mean, we tried to get Stan into a squat suit. I don't think we ever tried a bench shirt, but we tried getting him in a squat suit and he squatted less. Really? Yeah. 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 He tried to squat like, uh, I don't know, maybe seven plates or something like that. And he was like, this is awful. Get me out of this thing. Well, you, the eighties was <laughs> he off. Missed, he kind of missed a lift too, I think. The eighties was a really good time in powerlifting. Like if you look through the powerlifting, it says eighties, it's like a lot of great physiques, a yeah. lot of very strong lifts. I think the nineties, it actually for sure went backwards. And I think, you know, there's some raw stuff happening in early two thousands, but I think like 2007, 2008, it kind of like really picked up. Who are point. some of your favorite people in the strength game? Because you, you have kind of, uh, your idols are different than, uh, a lot of other people. Like some people will point to like Ronnie Coleman and Ed Cohn and, but you kind of have un some unconventional people that have, um, maybe accomplished some different feats of strength. Yeah. The, obviously, the, you know, Ed Cohn, then Fred Hatfield, um, Bill Kazmaier, Doug Young. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys. I see sometimes you'll post like, uh, wrestlers and people that have grip strength and like, who, yeah. who are some of these guys that you like? Well, that's how I got into lifting was watching wrestling event, you know, when I was like mm -hmm. five years old. So right. I wanted to get that look. So, um, I liked my favorite guy growing up there was, uh, Paul Orndorff. Remember Mr. Oh Wonderful? yeah. Yeah. He was jacked. He was a badass. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. He was, he was pretty big. A lot of the, a lot of the wrestlers back then were pretty big. And I think a lot of those guys could throw around some weight. For sure. They had they to. Could, <laughs> they can, they could lift a little something. Well, and, um, like you're saying, these unconventional people, I think a lot of it is like you said, mentioned Bruce Lee earlier. Bruce Lee, to get better at his punching, took up fencing. Mm. So I think when the strength thing, you know, you have to look at like, you know, okay, if a strong man never drops a, you know, deadlift, even though they lost straps, we'll just say they've got great grip strength. Maybe there's a little inherent value to farmer's walk. Like you, you can't be a myopic in your worldview. You got to kind of like expand, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, right. Strong men can recover better. Maybe they got a better work capacity. So maybe doing like some sled drags ain't going to kill you type mm -hmm. of thing.
Yeah. And you've done some strongman training as well, Absolutely. Right? I like it a lot for powerlifting off-season training, just not going like ape shit where you're like, you know, doing like a thousand pound yoke yeah. walk for 10 feet, resting 30 minutes and then doing yeah, a little more and leaving. Then you're not building your work capacity. Yeah. You don't want it to be, uh, too much on your nervous system too. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, when you, you, when you're doing a strongman, did you become a, a professional strongman? Cause you did it for a little bit, right? Yeah. I wasn't actually and stuff or no. Okay. Yeah. I did compete. So one contest, um, I think I would have, I would have had a, I, my pro card. I was winning at the whole contest and, um, this was weird thing. They didn't reorganize the events. So, you know, usually in strongman, if you finish first, you go last the next event. This one, they didn't do that. So I, I got drew names that I had as first. So I'd been won every event that day. The one I did not win was, um, they had a loading event. And the reason I, the reason I didn't win it, because they said you get disqualified if you drop the implements, but by mm -hmm. the end, people were dropping the implements. So I got like third place or fourth place. And that one I ended up getting second in the contest. So I was close to my pro card, but I only did like a couple contests, but the one I did win like that was, the um, strongest man in America. For Atlantis, that was a badass competition. They'd like Bill Kaz. Do you remember that one? I don't, I okay. don't recall. So what the events were, they had overhead, or they had, excuse me, they had a trap bar deadlift that was first. Three attempts like a powerlifting meet. Mm. Then they had bench press, three attempts, exact powerlifting rules. Right. Ed Cohen, Bill Kazmer, those guys were the judges. And then they had a overhead press. And I don't know if you were, you certainly, I don't think were, I don't know if you weren't allowed to split jerk it or if just no one there was capable <laughs> Yeah. You know, but no one did split jerk. You could push press a little bit. I got uh, some of those videos up there on YouTube too. And then after that was a pull up for a max. So if you weighed 400 pounds and you did five over your body weight, you got five. If you weighed 180 and you did 300 over your body weight, oh, you did shit, 300. That's kind of cool. And then they had a Thomas inch dumbbell, like a grip test. So you basically, but it was loadable. Can you so, pick that thing up? Um, I, I don't know. Cause it was, it wasn't the real thing. It was uh -oh. like. I was just doing what I had to do to win. So yeah, like, yeah the Thomas on, inch dumbbell is normally a specific weight, right? On bench press and deadlift, I only took two attempts because, um, I was, uh, um, there was, there could have been some potential competition, but once I saw there, there wasn't, I was going to win it no matter what I wanted to get my best total. So I didn't do a third attempt deadlift. I didn't do a third attempt bench press. Mm. Who's the strongest person you've ever worked with? Um, in person for, are you talking about like I've seen, trained with or like. Yeah. Somebody that you. Uh, Gary that, Frank. Some, somebody that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gary Frank is insane. Yeah. So he's doing like, uh, there wasn't really raw lifting, but you know, he'd squat in the upper eights with just like me spotting him with out yeah. knee wraps. <laughs> yeah. He was, so, he was crazy. 931 pound deadlift. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was the first guy, I think in powerlifting to go to like 24, 25, 26, 2700 pounds, all, all that kind of stuff. Well, right? he also used to do things like someone started asking him about his track and field days. And I'm thinking like, I mean, there's no way this dude still can move. Like he's just big. Right. And he started like demonstrating these, like, uh, what they call a South African drill in the, in the, in the discus. It was amazing how quick he could move. <laughs> and yeah. he's, he weighed like 400 pounds, right? Yeah. And he, he, one time, this is crazy. He's real relaxed. I went to, um, we're trained together. He, uh, ripped his bicep deadlifting and he's like, just finish your workout, you know, then take me to the hospital. Am I all right? And it was like two in the morning too. Like training with Gary, like, um, a lot of people didn't like the long workouts because he would like stop in the middle of the workout. Like he's, he's, he's uh, what, stuff. Louisiana, right? Yeah. And he's workouts. He'd say, get there at seven. You wouldn't start working out till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. 
and they go to like three or four in the morning. So then like three or four in the morning, we snapped his bicep. I took him to the ER and his blood pressure was 111 over 71. I was like, are you kidding me? Like you're 400 pounds and you're not even stressed out by this hopped up on caffeine and ephedrine and yeah, it's yeah. 111 over 71. Yeah. He's a pretty, uh, like mild manner. I, I also remember that he. Very helpful to nice to people too. Is uh super skeptical all the time of like different programs and stuff. He's always like, I know Matt Vincent used to train with him and Matt would bring something up to him because he'd be all, Matt would be all excited about some training program, whatever. And he'd just shake his head and be like, that doesn't work. <laughs> he was, um, he was first when I got there, he was only trained twice a week, mm. but these workouts are like six, eight hours long. Yeah. And you know, it was mainly just heavy singles. And then on bench, then he, he just like, tried to push it as hard, far as he could every single time. Yeah. And then much. like the training cycle would start over like with like, so say the deadlift would start off at like 800 for a single and you just add each week. But then we started doing, I don't know where he came up with this. So he's like, just do your own program. I'm like, no, I want to do yours. He's like, All right. So we start doing it together. And then, um, out of nowhere, he's like, we're going to start going to this gym that wasn't as, cause we trained at his house. Some commercial some kind of like little commercial gym mm. we started going to once a week and we were doing like 50 sets of back. We do like every sort of like old school, like upper back kind of bodybuilding <laughs> movement right. machine you could think of. Yeah. Just, so he was just like incorporating all kinds of different methods. Yeah. yeah. He was just heavy singles and that. Yeah. It was, I mean, so what about the strongest person that you've ever programmed for? Like somebody that you're working with maybe more recently, man, that's a tough one. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Let's just say a lot of strong bastards. Yeah, you got James Strickland right now benching, yep. uh, what, around 675 or so? He's done 661, and he's hit 675 in training, mm. so he'll be, I mean, I think um, the stars align, he's at 700. And you had another guy bench over 700, right? Julius Maddox, 705. Yeah. Um, do you think uh, any of these guys will be able to catch up to Kirill Serkev? What are you, Abs 738 or something? Seven? I think the quickest one to do it will be uh, Julius. Yeah. What did Kirill bench, do you know? 738. Yeah. He's at, Julius at 705. Um, you know, the Russian lifters, it's, it's kind of weird, but like, uh, when you look at what, um, some of their guys have done in Russia versus what they've done here, makes you kind of, I mean, it makes you kind of scratch your head. You know, I don't know if you've seen like Belyev pulled like nine, I mean, just destroyed it, but you know, maybe the flight and maybe the food and maybe like, there's a lot of circumstances of travel and, yeah. you know, all those things probably, uh, turn into, uh, you know, yeah. bad performances on the platform sometimes. I would certainly think they could play a role because um, I've seen it go the other way too. Yeah, when we go to like Australia or some of, some of our guys. Yeah, but sometimes there. people, you know, thrive on that too. So you just never know. Yeah, everybody, each guy's going to be, each guy's going to be a little different when it comes to that. It'd be What's nice your... to have like a neutral site. Like, you know, I don't know where the hell oh, it would be. Yeah, between, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> England or something. Yeah, but... yeah. What's your training like nowadays? What do you do now? Um, like I, your, your own training. I train mostly in my garage. So I have, um, I've been doing lately more like strongman type of training, but I keep the rest intervals and stuff real short. So if I'm going to do like a yoke, um, it's going to be like multiple trips, mm. you know, and very short. I got a chain yoke so the weights, you know, can swing. So I don't right. have to go as heavy. Cause I started doing that again a couple of years ago. And like, I was getting so heavy on all those strongman events that I, it was kind of counterproductive. I'm not competing. Mm. So this, you know, and then I do, um, for upper body more higher volume type of training. So I got like cables and stuff in there now. So you like to move around a lot. So you I like to like move around. Yeah. A lot. It's not, it's not just squat bench dead. No, hell no. I don't, I don't, 
I mean, like doing heavy back squats. I mean, I I would be surprised if I ever do it again. You know, I don't yeah. I don't see the point if I'm not. Right. You know, yeah, if you're not competing, yeah. not competing, I don't. It just fucking hurts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd rather do. You know, I just got actually yesterday, right when I left, arrived a front squat harness to do like zercher squats and front mm -hmm. squats. So I'm gonna mess around with that a little bit. But that's what about for sports? Like, what about somebody who's playing football or something? Do you think uh, you know some of these traditional movements are important, or would you still utilize? You know, would you utilize a mix of uh, squats, deads, and uh, strongman type training? I think it's a mix, and I think it's also you can look at somebody's like. Um, kind of base of where they are. So like, I think, you know, like, so, so, so kind of like I've found is like a, a generalization is like 2.5 times your body weight raw mm. in squat or deadlift. You're going to get up into that point, you get faster. So when I was totally gung-ho powerlifting, I was, tr you know, and I was at just at Metroflex full time, like, you know, 13 hours a day, I had all kinds of good kids that I trained for football. They were really good players. And a lot of them, their school strength program was so poor that they could come in and we wouldn't say we wouldn't run till like, you know, later on in the year, mm. you could see them. They, oh, we times forties at school today. I decrease, you know, three tenths of a second. It's because they got stronger. Cause if one of the, you know, most efficient ways to increase your speed is by increasing your strength to body weight ratio, your right. relative strength. So, you know, it, up to about 2.5 times your body weight. So if you weigh 200, you know, say deadlifting up to about 500, you're going to get faster by default if that ratio improves, but you start going up to, you know, 700, I don't think you're going to get that same increase. So there becomes like kind of like a limit strength base that's going to be like your base right. for everything, for bodybuilding, for any of this. I mean, if you... Yeah, when you go after something too far, like if you were yeah. trying to chase a 700-pound squat, odds are you'd have to increase your body size and maybe your body composition changes and then therefore you're slower. Your perhaps. energy reserve too, just like, you know, you're not going to yeah. like we were talking about earlier today is just people bench pressing, you know, even though on, on paper, three sets of eight at 500 pounds is way more volume than 700 for a single, the 700 for a single, if you're that level of strength, you're like walking around in a, you know, Zen like trance mm. focusing on that where the three sets of eight at 500, you could be, you know, playing video games all day, show up to the gym and do it. So it doesn't require that same sort of, you know, like just total yeah. engagement that can drain you. So I think there's that of like, of how much you're actually putting into it, then like a risk of injury. If, okay, like let's say you can, you're in the NFL, you weigh 300 pounds and you're squatting 700. W will you get a lot more to go into 900? Well, even if you did, there's a, everything's on a continuum of risk to benefit. So yeah, th that risk to me is too far than the benefit you'd get. Yeah. It's too, it's uh it's too great. Right. Too great. Um, when it comes to, uh, you know, just, just straight up powerlifting, you know, a lot of people, you know, they have coaches, um, a lot of people have nice gyms to train at nowadays. There's, they they cater more to powerlifting and yeah. stuff like that. That's nice. Um, people are trying to do any and everything they can. They're trying to sleep better. They're trying to eat better, but still sometimes, um, you know, it just doesn't work out, you know, for whatever reason. What, what, in your opinion, is the reason why uh, some people are maybe having a hard time making progress or even obtaining the progress that they're looking for? Probably a lot. Some of it is, um, you know, I think a lot of it is like the people that are obsessed with like all those things you're talking about. They're looking for so much stuff. They can't like stop and just do what they're doing. Like, you know, like I've noticed that like people sometimes I'll work with it come off as like so gung-ho in the beginning <laughs> They're just like, you know, they're really looking to program hop. It's like, mm. you know, where even if you did like maybe something crappy for a while and you stuck to, it, you can, first off, you have an evaluation of if this works, because even if it doesn't work, 
at least we know now that this doesn't work for you. So there's an inherent value there. Right. So I think a lot of it's being like scattered brain, not, you know. Not, not focusing, not really, truly honing yeah. in. Cause any program that you do, it's probably going to take some tweaks along the way too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, something I noticed that a lot of people do is, um, they'll get their programming from their coach and they'll just take that and they'll try to run with it. And it's like, no, you need to communicate with your coach about how the training's going. Like if something's hurt, you know, there's any of the good coaches, if you're like, man, my knee really hurts and this, you know, squats aren't going the way they need to go. Your coach is not going to be like, fuck you, just do it. <laughs> you know, your coach is going to say, Hey, you know what? Well, uh, all right, well, shit, maybe we got to take a step back. Maybe, sure. you know, maybe we got to reevaluate what we're doing. Like, why'd you hurt your knee? How'd you hurt your knee? Yeah. Did you hurt it training or did you hurt it playing a pickup game of basketball or like what the hell happened? You know? Absolutely. And, and I think a lot of people aren't uh, communicating back to their coach enough and, and giving that information. And that, that comes to what we're saying is operating on extreme. So you have one person that's so dogmatic, you know, they're, you know, they felt like a twinge in their peck and they're still going to max out bench today. The other person can't stay focused for five seconds and commit to anything. So yeah, you need to stay committed, but at the same time within reason, like, of course you have to communicate that. I mean, because if you get injured, it, it, it can be, you know, you're going to be out for a little bit of time. And in some cases it can be career ending for people. Your program's pretty known for, you know, being, being pretty harsh. Uh, do you try to like ease people into it or is it just like, boom, here you go. I think it's a case, but gotta, gotta, gotta get ready. openness on the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So How many of those have you had? This first one. <laughs> you had, what, three cups of coffee, though? Yeah, man. Yeah, get, get, them, get them all. Get them ready. Get me cracked mm -hmm. out, right? So definitely it would depend on the situation of the person. Because, like, Julius Maddox is, like, um, he's a fast gainer. So, like, what happens is, like, he's going to gain size and strength easier than most people. It's a blessing to a point, but that means he can't get away with as much work. Mm. Because like, you know, that's sort of, I think how a lot of the old school kind of like, remember those magazines, like hard gainer and those things? Yeah. Okay. They were, their thing was like, if you're a hard gainer, you can't work at, you have to work out less, not as, you know, not as much volume, blah, blah, blah. They actually had it backwards because when you're that dialed in, you're a fast gainer, you're so neurally efficient. Like mm. you just fatigue easy because every right. single ounce of your beings into that barbell. Right. Just inherently. Kind of the difference. In most cases, between males and females. A lot of times. Men are normally uh, neurologically efficient, and a lot of times females are neurologically inefficient, correct? Yeah, more so. so like women are just not typically as explosive. They don't as much fast switch muscle fiber. Yeah. Not saying about all ladies all the time in all cases, but just in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like um, someone like that, if I try to do some crazy high volume thing, there's right. it, would, it would be a train wreck. So we'd have to, you know. We have a guy, we have a, we have a lifter in the gym and his name is Trainwreck. We have an actual lifter in the gym. Seriously? Could you just envision what that guy, what the physique on that guy must look like? No, what's it look like? It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that you're going to look twice at. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Point being, you'd have to definitely ease someone like that in or you're going to have right. a, a lot of problems. Yeah. You got to take, take your time. What's up with Keto Built? How's that been going? It's been going really well. So. Um, I think it's the thing I like about it. I is, like you have a caveman on the front of the book. <laughs> kind yeah. of Neanderthal looking guy. Jack. Somebody emailed me and asked me if it was a drawing of him. I, I'm like, I don't even know who the hell you are. That's great. Yeah. It's like, hey, oh man, you can't use no, him. No, no, no. He's nice about it. It's like, you know, like, oh, okay. I, I'm honored if this is me kind of thing. I'm like, I'm honored that this is me and you can send me uh 500 bucks. 
Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. And it, I mean, they didn't even look, I, I wish I had the email still. Cause I looked the guy up on Facebook where he messaged me and it didn't look exactly like that. It wasn't like, I thought it was just you and you were a kid <laughs> <laughs> looking like a Neanderthal. <laughs> so I, the thing I like about it is it's a real, <laughs> it's like, there's plenty of books like you can read on keto that are like so deep into it. And yeah, it you, gives you way too much information. Science. Yeah. Cause I don't think the average person reading it wants all that. Right. I mean, because I've done books where I've gone so heavily into science, like Bench Press of Science, and yeah, I was badass writing it, but it didn't get the same response as some of my other books, because yeah. I think people are like, what the hell are you talking about? Just what I need to do to do this. A lot of people just want to know like what to eat. Yeah. You know? And I, I do think that it's, it is wise for people, though, as they are going through any sort of transformation, whether it's they want to be stronger, or they want to you know embark on a ketogenic diet, or whatever it is, they should... I think it's your obligation to further sure. educate yourself because then you'll be loaded with weapons that will help you in your kind of time of need. Um, and that way you don't have to always rely on, you know, just taking someone's word for sure. it. Sure. You know, should I have, if I'm going to fast, should I have coffee? And should I, you know, you, people start asking all kinds of crazy questions, but the more that you know, the, the better you can audible. And that's what try to make this to. where it's going to be kind of like. A game plan, but you do have some stuff. And then if you want to learn more, I guess you can get these other ones that are like really deep into it. Right. How do you, uh, keto diet? Everyone's um, got their own little spin on it. Is this a five day thing? A seven day thing? Is it no carbs? Is it some carbs? With the way, when I personally do it, so versus like, you know, anything else is I'll do it. Like, cause I'm not trying to get like shredded for a bodybuilding show. What I would do is, um, go make sure I get. So a, you can pull up some of those pictures, Andrew. Yeah. He make was like 5% body fat. Make sure I can get up, get to every 21 days or so, mm -hmm. at least get in a high carb day and then try to like place. The, it's hard to make it that long. Yeah. But then try to put then, but then you can make it where it's not like you're some social outcast <laughs> by just. Smoky. Yeah. We'll just do like, if you got like some sort of, you're going to somebody's house for dinner, like once a week, say. Right. Just make that your carb day or whatever. Right. Right. You know. My brother does that with the movie theater, but he goes to a movie like every day. <laughs> <laughs> just go at night, so we carb night. Yeah, he's like, he's like, uh, yeah, he's he says, uh, yeah, I just eat whenever I want, only but only when I go to the movies. I'm like, you go to, you have a movie ticket in your hand every day. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so you do about every 21 days, and then um, at most, I said that's yeah. the most I'd go. I'd usually yeah. go more like one day a week or something. Gotcha. Yeah. See, yeah. that was sort of doing keto dieting there without knowing what keto was and not as much fat. Like, yeah. We're there. I used to eat five you pounds. Look you look angry. You look a lot happier now. I got to say that. <laughs> five pounds of steak a day. Damn. And with a little bit of broccoli, but are by you, the, by are the you end. Are pretty much a big eater? Um, I was just. You like to pound I food in general? I was training. Yeah, I am. But I was training so much mm. and doing so much cardio that I don't think I had a choice. Yeah. You training twice a day at this point? Um. I was training, so I'd go, as far as working at Branches Gym, so I'd go in the morning, hit stadium. I'd usually go to, there was this, we have a lot of big stadiums in Texas, so I found one of the bigger high school ones on the way to the gym. I'd park my truck out there, hop over the fence, um, wasn't open, do a bunch of stadiums for like 45 minutes in the morning. I'd lift weights with Brian Dobson on our Metroflex at noon, and then, um, Sometimes do um, some more stuff at night, but the mm -hmm. night kind of, kind of like half-assed, I would, you know, just talk on the phone or like that kind of yeah, cardio yeah. where the first two were real intense. So during your bodybuilding days, how did you like posing? 
Um, you didn't compete, right? I didn't compete. Mm. Um, I like, but you posed for some guys. <laughs> <laughs> I like, Never mind. I, <laughs> sore subject. I like posing to learn, uh, you know, the mind muscle connection a lot. And did you utilize that in training at all? Did you pose in between exercises? Or anything absolutely. Like that? That's fucking hard. Yeah. And how long do you do it for? Like you flex for like 30 seconds or something like that? Or Well, I would tell, uh, I was working out with Brian. So I was doing what he was saying. He would say like, I'd say, we need to work on your posing. So I was like, why don't we just do it between sets too? And he, cause I got 10, he'd be like, I got 10 minutes after we're done working out and I got to do this. So right. we'd practice that. So I'm saying like, um, I wanted to figure instead of standing around between sets, we would do that. But we were doing some absurd amount of volume then because they had, um, there was some kid from University of Indiana came down and he uh, was like, I don't know what the hell he was doing. He was like taking notes and sent us some graph. And apparently in our chest workout, we did 66 sets. Holy shit. And he freaked out. I mean, granted, not, not all of them are to failure. He's counting yeah. like. Warm up. Man. Yeah. You know, we're, on bench, if you're going to bench press and you're your top sets with 545, he's counting like the 315 for 12 on the way up as a set, but still. What was that gym like? I mean, that seems, that gym seems really intense. You were at uh, Metroflex. Mm-hmm. And that, is that, um, you said that Brian Dobson was, did Brant, was that part of Brant, what Branch was doing too, or no? Um, did branch have his own gym branch trained at metroflex but he had his own gym oh okay so um i needed a job so um i was i mean i have how old were you at the time 25 or so mm. so i went over to um i was gonna so i left I, I was living in nashville tennessee doing well training a good training business there but i wanted to train more myself so i left there because there weren't really I trained at Vanderbilt, which was a good gym to train at. Oh, yeah. But then I wanted to train at Metroflex. So I moved down to Texas, and I was training people there. And uh, that that was going pr- okay, but at the time, there wasn't like, I remember Brian said, no one's ever made a living as a trainer here. I'm thinking like, shit, you know, that's a self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy. So I didn't have the right mindset. I was like, I need to get a job. So luckily, Branch was gracious enough to give me a job, which was great. But then he closed his gym down, and then I ended up, really killing the training business and doing awesome at Metroflex. I think I would have had the right mindset going in. You know, most of the people that hadn't made right. a, you know, living there, it's because they're trying to, you know, hook up with chicks in the bathroom or something, you know? <laughs> right. They're not really like in it for the right reasons. So right. I think I should have, if I had the right mentality, I wouldn't have to do that in the first place. I never even thought of that. Is that a thing? Can we do that? Hook up with chicks in the bathroom? We got a pretty big bathroom here. <laughs> I don't know. Like just accidentally, what do you just accidentally walk into the ladies' room? How does it work? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Metroflex from, from all the videos I used to see, um, you know, it, it looked like, um, you know, a truly hardcore gym. For sure. And it had, you know, tons and tons of dumbbells and tons of machines and all those old videos of Ronnie Coleman yeah. lifting in there. And he's just dripping with sweat. It's like literally just yeah. dripping off. And you see him uh, hitting up those big squats, lightweight, uh, yeah. doing all that stuff. Um, and, and I remember the, um, there's like fans in there, but it looks like the fans are just, it looks like the fans are just making it hotter because it's just, it's in Texas and everyone's just dying in there. What's like 120 degrees in there sometimes? It is. And that, that summer from where you saw right there, that 2006 from where those pictures were from, that was one of the hottest summers too. I think, I think these videos motivated and inspired everybody. I mean, this shit was... 
this shit was great, and I still watch some of it today. Look at Ronnie Coleman's a nut. I love it. What what makes some of these guys different? Like Branch Warren, um, Ronnie Coleman. Like, do they just have a different mindset? Like, they don't care. They just dive all in. They don't care. Like when they're training, they just they're not worried about how they're going to feel tomorrow. Definitely not worried about how they're going to feel tomorrow. I think if anything, it'd be the opposite problem they have. They're thriving on feeling crappy the next day. Yeah. So if they're going to have an issue. So they almost like the pain. That they, they almost like the pain. I mean, you you should check it. I didn't even send it to you, but I just did an interview. I put it up on YouTube the other day with Branch Warren. And it dealt, divulged deep into his mindset. And I think he's an animal, dude. I mean. Yeah. I mean, he, he really seems to love to beat the shit out of himself. Yeah. He, he just, his work ethic is just like. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Um, when you were working at this gym, were, um, I would imagine at a spot like this, like I, I kind of grew up in a much similar environment to this and, uh, mm -hmm. performance enhancing drugs were rampant and it wasn't uncommon to hear guys talk about it and stuff. Um, was, I mean, obviously with these pro bodybuilders in there, it must've been commonplace for guys just to, uh, just for it to be like mentioned you know, mid sentence as if they were talking about walking their dog or something. Right. Nah, they're pretty smart. I think people are a little smarter than that to like mm. be, I mean, I think not, not too, not too out in the open. Yeah. Cops and stuff could be. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. One of the, uh, gyms that I grew up at, they, they were always, uh, they were always a little paranoid about, about cops, but then, uh, after a while, some of the cops started coming in there and they started getting a lot bigger too. So <laughs> then people are a little bit more, uh, a little bit more open about it. They had a cop. Get busted at the, the Gold's Gym that's out of... Um, oh, yeah. Ronnie Coleman was a cop, too. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Here I am eating chicken again. He's in his squad car. It's like, this is the worst police officer <laughs> the world has ever what, seen. Do you know what year this one's from? I, this is probably... I'll try to find out. This is probably 2005, something like that. Eight time. Eight time Mr. Olympia. So maybe it's 2000... Oh, no, but that doesn't mean... No, it's, a, it's like a compilation video, so they're they're going back over old footage. He Ronnie Coleman actually had um, somebody paid $50 an hour to to load weights for him. Wow. And lift weights up to him. The guy's yeah. name's the General Robert E. He's... Name's Robert E. Lee. Calls Robert E. Lee? The that's general. Great. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, Ronnie... I mean, that, that's that got to be worth it. You know, because he, oh, the amount of weight yeah. the guy lifted, especially when he would do those. Remember he did those leg presses and stuff? Uh, do you see any of these guys anymore? Do you see Branch Warren anymore? Do you I see just hung out with Branch Warren the other day. Yeah. Um, um, last Friday for a while, a couple hours. And then um, I met with Ronnie for like a couple hours at IHOP. He likes to meet at IHOP. That's great. <laughs> I walked in there like, I'm looking for Ron. And they didn't let me finish the sentence. They just took me to his table. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah they just they they he's a regular he's in there all the time all the time that's awesome who do you look up to in the industry or who do you look up to you know or even when you were a kid who do you look up to like of who have you looked up to definitely powerlifting bodybuilding anyway. ed Cone, fred hatfield uh bill kazmaier Doug fred Young. hatfield the first guy to squat a thousand pounds right yeah or no i think dave waddington was oh yeah yeah but fred he had hatfield, a squat record for a long time record and did it lighter yeah he weighed less um, and then did Fred Hatfield, he started, um, I think he had the first, uh, personal training certification yeah, course in America, right? Mm -hmm. That's pretty amazing. Uh, who else were you mentioning? Um, well with, um, Fr Fred Hatfield, what were we, oh, I lost my train of thought there. Yeah. We're just me. talking about who you kind of like were looking up to. You said Ed Cohn, Fred Hatfield, and you mentioned a couple other guys. Uh, Bill Kazmaier, Doug okay. Young. Um, I looked up, I mean, a lot of, um. 
from like a more intellectual standpoint, Charles Poliquin. Yeah. He's yeah, been he's, on yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's, he has, uh, a lot of great information. Salaria too, Fred's business partner. Mm. Now you traveled all over the place. You mentioned living in Tennessee. You mentioned living in, in uh, Texas. I believe your family's from Santa Barbara yeah. area, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think when I first started to learn about, and I'm not sure if it's you or your brother. I, I don't. I don't know who I've seen videos of, but this is like, this is way the hell before YouTube was ever around. This is like 2003, 2002. I think that's why I didn't get on YouTube originally because I'd just been doing it like. Yeah. Posting the videos on my website and stuff. Yeah, I used to see videos from, I mean, a really long time ago of like box jumps and, yeah. and all kinds of different uh, crazy training. It might have been you and your brother. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember you seeing you doing that. What, what was something that made you want to even like document some of that stuff back then? Because that was very uncommon. I'm not exactly sure. I think a lot of it was... Um, you just thought you were badass. Like everyone's yeah. got to see this shit. A lot of it was... Um, I didn't really see other people doing it. I was trying to share information. I was getting into um, actually training people. Then um, actually John Enzer is the one that suggested I get a website. So I thought, you know, this guy knows what he's talking about. So that's I took the advice and did it. That's, that's, uh, that's really interesting. Because I think like Enzer as a company, like maybe just as of like a few months ago, just got an Instagram page. Really? <laughs> you know, so it's interesting that he would uh, turn you on as a technology. He, I had, he suggested it before he got a website. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that company's been around for a long time. I haven't really heard or seen much from they him. They were real personally. helpful to me when I was starting out, so I've always had a soft spot in my heart for them. Yeah. Well, they've done a great job. They make great products. I mean, yeah. still today when it comes to their uh, their bench shirts and their squat suits and stuff, a lot of the other companies chose to make their material a lot stiffer, but theirs was a lot, had a little, at least a little bit of give to it. Yeah. Because some of that stuff, it's like you can't even figure out how to even come close to touching your chest or breaking parallel, you know, in, in some of those old school, uh, squat suits. Yeah. I've, I've, te I've tested out bench shirts for John at random gyms and Longview and stuff. I mean, I've like, well, I knew the bench shirts were getting crazy is one time we had 765 on there. I just brought it down. It was just stuck right here. Hmm. Just hovering. Nothing's yeah. happening. Yeah. It's, it, they're, they're, uh, it's an interesting animal because then to try to figure out how to press that is uh it's pretty absurd you posted a video uh not too long ago of you having some sort of ridiculous amount of weight on the bar it was like 865 or something oh like. yeah what was that um well the guy i used to train with that i looked up to too was a guy named george brink he was the only person at the time to deadlift over uh 800 when he's 50 mm. he used to live down there i went down to santa paula to train with him but then i think he he died like a year ago, but he moved up somewhere in this area. Are you guys near Shasta up here kind of? Mm -hmm. Yeah, up here somewhere. And um, he was like, um, I've been doing these overload bench things. And, you know, I'm like, let's do it. So we just started overloading the bench press all the time and adding more and more weight. Looking back on it, I don't think it was the best strategy. However, develop some cojones in the process. Yeah. And I mean attack any weight after that was it just like a a short range of motion no it was full thing but what how, what were you doing with 865 was it just a bench shirt or what watch <laughs> yeah he we're pulling up a video of this check we're checking this out right now so that bench was a pretty cool design right there i don't know what ever happened to that but mm. you could kind of see i can lean over it like that and spot yeah so, you know what's cool is in this video you're probably 20 years old or something, yeah. right? 
it's cool is how much better shape you're in now you know (laughs) that's fucking that's great i mean i really think that that's great you know um a lot of young people should be learning from that Okay, so he's just uh, assisting you a little bit through the lift there. I think more than a little bit, but yeah. Uh, well, you I mean, said he deadlifted eight hundred, right? <laughs> I'm certainly applying. Oh wait, he was on a um, he was on some sort of weird like chest supported row or something. That's how the bench is. I'm saying the design was badass because that's what. Oh, see that? That's fucking great. Yeah, I know. I've um, so I've brought this up to other can't see the, equipment the, companies yeah. before just to get another one. Like I, I'm not like yeah. looking to profit. I just think this would be a great thing yeah. for. All the people I'm looking to profit. I am too, but I don't want to get in the equipment. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking to profit, profit a lot, everything. but just not on this. Yeah, I want to run the fitness industry. Um, the uh, you know what? It's really cool for those of you that can't see the visual. I know live, everyone can see what we have on YouTube. But for those that are listening on iTunes, um, basically what it looks like is that the spotter, the guy that's behind, uh, you know, where the bench press is that that normally does the lift off, he has like a chest supported row type of thing where he can lean over. Now this, this could be viewed as a, as a positive and it can also be viewed as a huge negative because how in the world are we going to sit on anybody's face anymore? How in the world are we going to get our balls right in the guy's mm. face? I mean, that's kind of part of the whole strategy is to kind of half straddle the guy, throw him off a little bit. Now we can't get the balls in the face anymore. And you can't get sweat dropping into your eyes and yeah. gum into your oh, mouth. I think you get some decent sweat still. Yeah. Yeah. yeah get some good sweat drops. That is a really cool... It she wasn't a powerlifting company or anything. Mm, that's yeah. I think it might have been Body Masters or something. Man, I fuck. I used to work for a company that moved around equipment, yeah. and Body Masters was the worst. That was uh, they was just the heaviest. Yeah, like the, I don't know what they made their shit out of compared to everybody else, but that stuff was was uh, was heavy as hell. Do you have any other brothers and sisters or anything like that? I just have that one brother, Noah. Yeah, and then what? What were things like for you guys growing up? You guys beat the shit out of each other all the time. Yeah, you were watching I mean, we, wrestling and stuff since like. Um, one of my earliest memories is like um, when I was like four or five, or probably like five, and he was like two or three mm. or two. Uh, we got in a fight at the donut shop and went through the window there. <laughs> went through the window, like broke the window, not like all the way through. Holy it, but shit! Broke the window at the donut shop fighting. Damn. <laughs> and how were your parents? Were your parents kind of involved in you guys in sports, or they were more hands off? Or um, I think they were like the perfect role models and mix in that regard. There's like, okay, if you want to. Um, if you want to do a sport, we're going to provide the avenue type of thing and then be supportive once you're there. Though, um, like, for instance, like with basketball, they were like highly suggestive I do it. Like mm. football, they weren't like pushing me into it. When I got into boxing, I had to like, <laughs> I don't think they would have let me except they, I kept begging and they realized yeah. I really wanted to do it. Like, I think if I would have mentioned in passing, like, hey, I want to try boxing, they would be like, no. Right. But I kept bringing it up every day and. Right got to do it that's cool though they were supportive in general yeah. did you guys have weights at the house or anything like that we had weights um sound like you grew up like the bell brothers watching wrestling yeah. you had weights at the house in the basement yeah same with us it was amazing yeah we had um and for some reason my dad knew i don't know how i don't know how he figured it out but like he bought like like real weights. i remember you said that they weren't like those sears like cement yeah, ones that were actually yeah. good. i mean we did have that when we were really young and then we had like this machine that kind of you know, one of those machines you can do like leg extension in the same spot. You can do like uh, a yeah. lat pull down, you know, it was, uh, called the Marcy monster. It was from Sears. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was like that, that we had that, but then after that, we moved into uh, another house. I think what happened is my brother, Chris, he had, uh, he's born with bad hips and bad knees and stuff. And he had a double knee surgery 
probably at about 15 or 16 or so. And the doctor that he went to was a powerlifter. And that's how he got into powerlifting. Cause that guy was like, if you, uh, you know, if, if you want to, if you want to be out of pain, your only, only way you'll ever be out of pain is to be strong. That's awesome. And he's like, you got to squat. And this guy was strong. This guy squatted, um, in the sevens. And I think he weighed like 200 pounds, maybe 220. Wow. He was pretty like, he was in pretty damn good shape too. And, uh, I was probably, you know, I'm four years younger than my brother. So we were, when we saw this guy, we were like, what the fuck? Like we knew about muscle and stuff. Cause we saw, you know, we saw wrestling and things yeah. like that. And we, our, our uncle was into it. But then when we saw this guy, we were like, holy, cause we'd never really seen anybody up close that looked like that. And he was like, yeah, I power lift. And we're like, what the fuck's power lifting? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, then my, from there, my dad, you know, ended up buying us that, uh, that weight set, but. Yeah, it looks like some of the stuff we have here at fucking uh, Super I Training. Had, I had, starting off, I don't know where this came from, but we had a weight. It was like one of those cheap Sears ones, like 20-some pounds. And my, get on the my dad's friend yeah. um, named Steve Hall was the one that got me into lifting initially, and he was crazy. But I remember he said, you can't lift the weight overhead. He's like, whatever rule you do, you can't lift the weight overhead. So I'm like five years old. I'm thinking, like, okay, as soon as someone's looking, go down there every day and lift it overhead because yeah. it must be like some kind of magical key to something. So I'd go down there. <laughs> That's great. Get that barbell and lift it overhead and uh, yeah. do curls. And it's like, what does that guy have against Olympic lifting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, whatever you do, don't lift it overhead. Yeah. Uh, are you big into any supplements or uh, vitamins or anything like that? I wouldn't say big into it. No. And you're, you never seen any like real benefit from, you know, I have, I just don't think it's like, um, like the game changer gotcha, necessarily. Gotcha. Like some people do. So right. like when you're, taking care of all loose ends obviously right so. yeah i've always thought that um supplements can help keep you on a regimen yeah you know you, you you have your protein shake at this time of day and you have your vitamins at this time of day and if it's helping with anything it's at least helping with that yeah i mean i've noticed some benefits like i've since taking like vitamin d fish oil things like that but not like I don't think it's like you're saying like a game changer. I don't think it's going to, if you're totally 1800, it's not mm -hmm. the gateway to 2000. Right. Is there anything you do in particular for, um, like inflammation recovery? Like, do you suggest, you know, hot, cold, like you do anything like that? I think the biggest thing I've noticed personally for inflammation is, uh, cutting back on carbs. That's mm -hmm. been huge. Like I remember Charles Pollock when it said that, when we talked about it initially and kind of encouraged me to go back to this. Cause when, um, I showed you those pictures before when I was doing bodybuilding, super shredded, I, w I don't think I was eating enough fat. So obviously mm -hmm. it worked, but that picture is actually when I'd gone off the diet for a couple of weeks. So right. I actually looked better, you know, eating Chinese buffets, pizza, yeah, Waffle right, House right, and right. all that stuff for a couple of weeks than I did when I was shredded. So yeah. Cause you filled out and filled and, out and gained some size and yeah. gave your body kind of the nutrition it needed. Cause you were saying you weren't eating enough fat before that. Yeah. So then going back to like lower carb eating again not as fanatical as that, but keep my fats up and stuff. I noticed a tremendous difference on the inflammation. And personally for me, I noticed everybody's going to be different is I, I haven't noticed any kind of drop off in work capacity or anything. If anything, it's like, yeah, kind of picked up. And are you like no carbs? Like you don't eat a potato or rice or anything like that? No, I don't. And then I'll just go like when I'm going to ha have like a, you know, a refeed or whatever, just, I'm not like, again, I'm not trying to get on stage. So I'm not like right. counting out carbs like okay 200 right you know I, I wonder that sometimes when people are that anal about things but their physiques don't reflect it at all if they're like lying or what's going on because you <laughs> well, know i think i think the problem you know the problem with uh, calories is uh 
you know, if you look at Dr. Andy Galpin, he, he posted yeah. just two days ago, uh, he posted some of the problems with counting calories. A ton. Um, you know, I don't think it's ever a great idea to like totally coach people out of like something they're comfortable with, but it's good to present them with the information. And the information is that, first of all, if you're on a real diet and you want to be a bodybuilder or you want to be any sort of real athlete, then you should not be eating uh, packaged processed foods. Sure. Packaged processed foods are the only things that have like the food label on it normally. I mean, sometimes you get, you know, sometimes meat will have it too, but if you get it from like the butcher, it doesn't say anything on it, right? Sure. Um, we should be eating things that aren't packaged. We should be eating things that doesn't really have a food label. The problem with the food labels, uh, in addition to it normally being something that has, you know, processed food in, in the container or in the package is that we don't really know the calorie in the calories that are in that donor or in that, whatever it is that you bought, granola bar, whatever cereal. Um, they say that sometimes food labels can be off by 50%. Yeah. And then how do we fill it, figure out our own caloric expenditure? You know, what's the math look like on all that? And, and who the fuck even knows any of that? And well, what, even are, are the products the same as they were 30 years ago when they first measured them? Like the right. soil's different now. So is potato from now the same as 1975? Right. Like even this, you know, monster energy drink or whatever it is that you're consuming, um, you know, it, it might not have, you know, three carbs. It might have 12, right? Like you just don't sure. really, we don't really know. And um, I don't think it's a, I do think it's a waste of time personally. Um, I do think that if you are a seasoned, uh, dieter, somebody that's done it for a long time and you're somebody that's going to step on stage, maybe like a Phil Heath or some of these guys that are going to compete, uh, maybe for those guys, maybe it makes sense because they have to figure out the overall amount of food that they're yeah. getting in their body and the nutrients. And it's really important for them to, uh, you know, feed their body what it needs to continue to grow and everything. But other than that, it's like, man, what are you wasting your fucking time for? Yeah, I mean, it's I'm with you on it. You know, because uh, the the uh, the way that they they pull up, uh, you know, how many calories you're supposed to have in a day. There's if you can you Google that, Andrew. Like if you if you just look it up, like how how many calories should I have in a day? There's 15 different ways or 40 different ways. You know, like they well, just wouldn't multiply it, it would automatically just number. change by including this in there. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like just like something that small. Yeah. I mean, it's going to make a big difference, uh, depending on what you consume and what you eat. And really, I think that a lot of times diet is about the hormones that are in your body. And when you take on something like a low carbohydrate diet, you get better control of your insulin levels, which in my opinion, we should really shouldn't need, uh, these weird, crazy diets, but we're in a bad spot where we do need them. And yeah. also if we're trying to build muscle and we're trying to do things that are That's one of the interesting then. things too with the, the lower carb ketogenic type of diets is, um, I've had people go get tested numerous times, DEXA scans, you know, mm -hmm. hydrostatically. So it's not like, you know, their buddy pinching skin. <laughs> yeah. And you, to me, to see the amount of muscle people put on too, a lot of times it happens. And then a lot of times their test levels spike too. Yeah. So, I mean, will that happen to everybody? A absolutely not. But there's. Right. So according to Google. For an average man uh, to consume 2,500 calories to maintain 2,000 to lose one pound of weight per week. For a female uh, to maintain 2,000 calories and then to drop a pound a, a pound a week is 1,500 calories. Right. And it's just hard yeah. to figure out those variables. Like, What, what if you work construction 12 hours a day then lift after? And what if you just yeah. sit on your ass and play video games, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and what if you had a, you know, had a specific job that you had that energy expenditure for the last 20 years? Like maybe your body's like, 
so used to it, it's not really burning as many yeah. calories. But what if you took on a new job that you just started six months ago? I mean, there's so many factors that, that go into all this. I'm not saying they don't matter at all because I don't really, I'm not a proponent of that either. I just think that they're very inaccurate. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, when people just go on purely off of macros too, not actually looking at what the hormonal right. response is of the food. What is going on? And I wanted to save this for the end, <laughs> save the best for last. What is going on with being gas station ready? So when you, <laughs> I think this, I think this Instagram post. Do you on, have like, a, you have like conspiracy, are you a conspiracy guy? Like there's going to be like a zombie apocalypse and you need to be ready. I, to I don't think so. Up? I mean, but apparently a lot of people I talk to lately think the earth is flat. So I'm definitely far from that. <laughs> yeah. Flat earth. Like a lot of people. I like, know. I thought it was, I thought they were kidding at first. Cause I keep saying, okay, like let's, they say this is something like, what happens when you go past Japan? That's all I want to know. Well, I know that if we were to dig a hole deep enough, we would end up in Japan. <laughs> oh, China. I got it. I got yeah, I got my information wrong. I guess when I was in New York, it was different. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> gas station ready is just being ready. You know, when you're at the gas station at 3 a.m. and the bourbon bathe transient walks up to you, wants your ride, your car, your life, your lady. Are you ready? Are you ready to rumble? Are you, Are you ready, ready to, to take rumble? care of yourself? You guys got to pull up the gas station ready YouTube video. Have you, um. Have you taken uh, self-defense classes and things like that? Over no, the years? just boxing. Boxing. Yeah. It was two on one. This guy right here's gas. Yeah. Yeah, we're watching the katana guy. To them, they probably yeah, we're watching some uh, out of the way. But video clips right now. I think this is the uh, katana one right here. This the is rail this Avenger. Is, uh, they weren't even a challenge. Yeah, somebody this whips out a fucking you saw sword. The it's folded, tempered, and That's it does its amazing. job. Cairo says the three men on the train are lucky they ran. That is that is just too. Money. Are you able to pull up a hey, smoke? Are you able to pull up the, um, gas station ready one on YouTube? I think that they like that one. Yeah. On a more serious note, are you trying to educate people to like be ready? Like in case, you know, somebody is trying to attack you or is it more Dude, for fun? It's both. So uh, my guy, my business partner, Don Bichi, the guy who jailhouse strong with it, he's a jujitsu instructor. Uh -huh. So he's a great jujitsu instructor and teaches classes on self-defense. Cool. But a lot of it initially was just for like. You know, training, because a lot of people aren't training, you know, a lot of people that are following us aren't just like world-class powerlifters or right. people that used to power. I don't know what you call this demographic of people, like over 35, that still want to train to kind of be ready for anything, but not, you know, get rid of strength either. Yeah, well, now we call them gas station ready. Now we call them gas station ready. <laughs> um, so. Um, you also have, have uh, like, research and stuff. Um some old school lifting and some old school lifting techniques that people have used, um, even in like correctional facilities and stuff like that, right? Yeah, with Jailhouse Strong. Absolutely. So that's, that's where the name came from, That's right? where the name came from. Jailhouse Strong is essentially trying to make the most out of, uh, what you have, you know, whatever your situation is. So you could be at a great gym, like super training. It doesn't mean just doing pushups in the corner, but if you're, you know, living at Motel 6 in Evansville, Indiana, you might be stuck doing bodyweight training and you make the most of that type of thing. So it's right. taking advantage of what you have. <laughs> you like this ending right here? Yeah. yeah these, this is, uh, this was filmed at a real gas station too. Obviously. Oh, that's great. This is, uh, just on your YouTube channel. Is it Jailhouse Strong YouTube? Yeah. Watch the ending right here. Uh-oh. Looks like you have a bottle of piss right there. Bottle of OE. There you go. <laughs> Intense music. <laughs> yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Gas station ready, baby. Damn, you got to be ready for any and all things. What's coming up next for you? Um, Actually, the next huge thing coming up is we're coming out with a book in about a month from now. 
It's, um, it's called grounded in gratitude. It's a gratitude journal, but it's an action plan too, because a lot of times with these kind of gratitude journals, you know, people, you know, just think of it like sitting around in like a yoga class in Santa Fe and not accomplish anything. This actually comes with an action plan. It's mm-hmm. some of the most advanced mindset techniques, um, views with myself, athletes and Adam's views with other people too. So like, for instance, like, um, before Steve Johnson hit the 900 pound deadlift, he said to himself, um, every day to, you know, at least 20 times the way he'd make himself drift to sleep at night is he'd say, I give myself permission to deadlift 900 pounds. So mm. There's a lot of different mental techniques and how to apply them. And then there's like actually journaling activities, this, so I think it's going to be our bestseller yet. And I'm very confident it's going to help a lot of people. It's going to be all about mindset. Yeah, the mental side of things is huge. We just talked yesterday to CT Fletcher. Yeah. Talking guy had a heart transplant. I mean, you know, talk about having a good mindset. He, he's so positive, you know, and he said that his faith was tested quite a bit and that, uh, you know, he definitely had his days, but when you have people around you that are positive, he had a lot of fan interaction. Um, one of the nurses read, uh, a lot of the stuff, uh, that people were sending him on Instagram and Facebook and stuff. And, uh, a lot of that just was enough to keep him, keep him strong, keep him going. So your mindset's a huge part of it. Well, yeah. And one of the chapters we have in there is actually on self-talk. Just think about it. Like little small things like, okay, what's your goal? Well, my goal is to make a hundred thousand dollars. Say that's your goal. Well, you can't make money unless you work at, unless you're a counterfeiter or you work at the treasury. You need to say earn money because make money's like inherently kind of shady. Earn money's not, you know, like those kind of little mindset things of like, what do you say? Well, you know, it, you know, you say like, you, you know, you have to say like small things like, like that is just like, you know, real big and, and what we're talking about. So you always like if versus when, you know, those type of things, like if this happens, when this happens, you know, I hope versus expects a huge mm-hmm. section, all these little things that I've, you know, used, they're huge, I think. Cause uh, I mean, that's been one of the kind of like the, um, you know, biggest battles for me is, is like, um developing that mindset just because I always had it for lifting, but I didn't have in other areas of life. Like I said before, you know, working at Metroflex, you can't ever make a living as a trainer here. Like that's a loser mentality to adopt that. So if you start saying things, you know, like people say, you know, the rich get rich, the poor get poor, that kind of crap. And that kind of like loser mindset, you're going to find ways to fulfill that because your subconscious, not to rant too much, is like a servo mechanism that serves you your helper. So it's going to do what you tell it to. So if you keep telling yourself only the rich get rich, the poor get poor, guess what? You're going to make that happen. So we're trying to, we're developing strategies that are going to help you overcome that type of thing. It's hard because you got to do it in all aspects of your life, you know? And so it, it becomes an uphill battle, but if you can kind of take it one step at a time and do it day in and day out and start, you start to, uh, starts to spread out into other areas of your life. I think so too. Got anything over there, Andrew? Yeah, I for, I lost his name, but somebody was asking, um, should the, um, the ISO holds be used year round or should that be like off season type thing or, you know, meat prep, that sort of thing? Okay. So let's clarify. They're not holds. They're pushes or pulls. If gotcha. you do not, you like, do not want to, you know, hold the weight steady. Excuse the nomenclature. You maximum exclude force. the nomenclature. It's like a prison rape against those pins. Okay. Mm. Is that appropriate to say? I think so. I think it clarified it for us. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's what you want to do. You want to try to break the pins. That being said, when you do it, I would say, um, 
you they're effective for about six to eight weeks at a time. Generally, it could be generally be like a meat prep when you're trying to like, okay, I need to pull out this ace card because I need X amount of pounds. It's great for like, okay, I'm kind of stuck. Aha, I got it now. I'm going to mm-hmm. pull it out. However, there could be a time and a place in the off season. So like, for instance, if someone has extremely weak triceps, we're really trying to bring up, we might do like something, you know, especially if it's someone not as strong, like functional isometrics really, instead of just pushing against the pins where they do like, um, you know, one, two, three, four, five, and the sixth one, they push as hard as they can. The problem with doing that with the advanced lifters using the isometrics. So if you're intermediate or less than intermediate, you could do them anytime you want. Advanced, it might be tough because the whole purpose of the off season is generally to build work capacity and hypertrophy, the two biggest objectives here, and, and to give your CNS a break from real heavy weights. Well, you talk to some of the more advanced lifters when they do the isometrics, they're fried. Like, I mean, they're pushing so hard because you can produce about 15% more force for a hell of a lot longer. So if, if you're already an advanced lifter, like you're deadlifting 850 and you're pulling as hard as you can against pins in the off season, um, that falls on the risk side of the risk of benefit equation. If you're deadlifting 315, you know, it wouldn't. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Are there any uh, power lifters right now that you're not working with that you kind of hope that you, or that you would like to work with? Um, man, I'm, I'm pretty open. So anybody that's, um, anybody that's willing to work. So I'm not even like saying, okay, if someone has a bad attitude and deadlifts, you know, 980, they're going to set the world record, but they got a piss poor attitude. I don't want to work with them where if someone's deadlifting 315 and they're all about it, let's, let's do it. You know, so that, that's kind of my thing is like, this is more about, it's also beyond just getting people strong. It's like about building relationships with people. And like, after they actually stop powerlifting, we can still be friends and, you know, run into each other and things like that. Not just. Yeah. It makes you know. sense. We're good. All right. That's all the time we got. This is uh, Josh Bryant. Check out his book, Keto Built, and also check out his website, which is joshstrength.com. Check out his Instagram. Jailhouse Strong. There we go. Strength is never weakness. Weakness is never strength. Bye.